welcome to Revolutionary Women. My name is Tess Silverman. Women around the world are constantly creating ways to make a difference in their communities, and today's guest is no exception. Danielle Miller is the program manager for Daughters for Earth, the campaign and fund that aims to inspire all women to engage in climate change action by mobilizing $100 million for on-the-ground women-led efforts to protect and restore the earth. Her passion for the environment is deeply influenced by the many women who paved the way to build a more sustainable world before her. Her past experience ranges from managing composting operations at a campus farm to local climate grassroots advocacy and fundraising. She's a senior fellow through the Environmental Leadership Program and holds a BS in Environmental Science from Wilson College and a Master's in Environmental Law and Policy from Vermont Law School. Danielle currently resides in Washington, D.C. metro area with her husband and their two rescue dogs. In her spare time, she loves horseback riding, hiking in the mountains, art, and gardening. Hi, Danielle. Welcome to Revolutionary Women. How are you this afternoon? I'm doing great. Thank you so much, Tess. It's an honor to be here. Thank you for coming on. Um, so I we have a lot. I have a lot of questions. So let's get started. Um, so you grew up in Western Pennsylvania. Um, what was it like for you growing up in Western Pennsylvania? What part of Pennsylvania? Yeah, yeah. Thanks. Thanks for asking, Tess. So I'm currently calling in from Piscataway Lands outside of Washington D.C. and oh. and where I grew up is actually pretty different. Um, from here, where I'm calling in from. Um, Mm -hmm. So it's a rural part of Western PA, northeast of Pittsburgh. And I always laugh when I tell people it's actually close to Punxsutawney, Pennsylvania. Uh, So that usually rings some bells because of Groundhog's Day. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Oh, wow. Okay, that's the only reference I know. So, oh, wow. Okay, so I read that growing up, you lived on well water and had to conserve it at times. So was that hard to do or was that just something that you did because and you were you got used to it yeah yeah so you know growing up in a rural area i think a lot of people have this experience where you're on well water it's not an infinite resource and to be honest you really do sort of start to adopt it as just the practice of life Mm. um it's and it's that was certainly my experience, but it's been interesting as an adult. You know, now I live outside of the city mm-hmm. um, and I'm on city water and it feels like there's more of it. There's less of a need to conserve it. But just mm-hmm. on a funny side note, to this day, I tend to be very um, conservative about how I use water. And I always do chide my my husband if he leaves the water running. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm, it's funny because... It's interesting because um, I have my sister-in-law who lives in an RV. So, you know, like she's the same way when she, like when we go in and visit her, she's like, and I have the water. It's like, don't run the water. I'm like, oh, oh yeah, okay. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, I mean, right. it's, con- it's connected to water source, of course. But she says, you know what, it, why waste it? And I'm like, you're right. That's so true. But, you know, I'm so used to just right. like, you know, it's different, just I guess a different mindset. Um, but absolutely. <laughs> but you also did, you know, you also did practices growing up, which is, from your point of view, which is now known as eco-conscious. Can you tell me some examples of that? Yeah, yeah, I'd I'd love to. Um, so, one thing um, that really stands out um, was that my grandparents 
had this beautiful garden when I was growing up and I was very close to them and we would compost food scraps as a source of nutrients for the soil. And, you know, today we would call that out as an example of tackling food waste. Mm -hmm. Um, But, Mm -hmm. you know, when I was growing up, we didn't really use that language. It was just part of life. And I think it's really interesting how we talk about eco-conscious habits and how a lot of them are actually rooted in practices that our um, relatives and ancestors may have been doing already mm-hmm. as habits and because it was just part of the lifestyle. Right. Um, so that's been really interesting for me, you know, being in this space in the environmental movement and recognizing some of these like trendy eco-conscious um, tips and, and actions to take are actually you know, coming from a place um, that my grandparents had sort of already adopted um, and incorporated into their lives. Yeah, Mm -hmm. it's interesting because as you're saying that, and I'm remembering when I was uh, when I was little, I would I would visit my relatives in the provinces in the Philippines. And I remember distinctly, like, you know, by nighttime, they had no electricity, so it was candles. And I was just like, wait, what do you mean there's no lights? You know, I was like, what do you mean there's no electricity? You know, so for me, I was not used to that. But for them, that was like their way of life. Um, right. So it's like, you know, and what they would do, they had a rice, they had a rice farm. And so I was just, to me, it was more like a, a, a play, uh, I guess like a, um, like a play area or just like, you know, like going on these, uh, going into the hay, and it's, for me, I was just playing around with it. But for them, this was their way of their their, their um, source of income, you know. So I had right. no clue whatsoever. Um, so it wasn't until that moment when I'm like, "Oh wait, I'm not. I, this is not something that I'm used to." But you know, this is sure. how they're used to it. So I. You know, either I go along with it or I just like, okay, well, (laughs) this is how it is. Um, But it's interesting that you say all these practices have already been around forever. Um, Yes. And you just, you know, you take it for granted, right? I mean, at least I know I did. Um, But no, that's really interesting that you you cited those examples. And it's funny, you also cited, from what I read, leftovers. I mean, my husband and I eat leftovers, you know, but that's something that I I was used to. You know, I mean, growing Mm -hmm. up, I was used to that. But, you know, so many, um, I mean, I don't know how many, but I'm sure a lot of people would be like, "Mm, not into that. You know, but when you're thinking, (laughs) you know, when you're thinking, it's like, well, okay, so how can you justify, like, you know, um, like leaving food behind when you can just like eat it the next day or at least give it away right you can just give it to someone who who might need it right and i feel like today there are there are avenues to do that i know a lot of urban areas have community fridges so there there are more options there to avoid wasting precious food um for sure but it also has been eye-opening to me as adults like as an adult hearing from folks that maybe don't have leftovers as just a practice mm, <laughs> in their life mm-hmm. because it's been just, you know, it's mm-hmm. been part of my upbringing and my, my life up to this point. Yeah. 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 Okay. So um, you went to college in Pennsylvania and decided to pursue an education in environmental studies. Was that your first choice because of the environment you grew up in? Yeah. Yeah. So I, <laughs> I love to tell this story. It's really interesting. You know, where I grew up, 
you're just surrounded by nature, right? You know, I if I think about it, surrounded by forests, rolling hills, the sound of birds and spring peepers. And mm -hmm. that's really where where my story starts. And, you know, lots of my early memories are rooted and being outside in nature, mm. um, it was like my playground. So I think it was just part of the fiber of my being. But um, it's interesting because when I got to the point where I was thinking about what I was going to do when I went to school, mm -hmm. I really debated the path that I was going to take. I had moments when I was interested in pursuing art or mm -hmm. music, mm -hmm. working with horses, journalism. The list really goes on of all the things that I thought this could be really interesting uh -huh. and and now as as an adult and having taken like personality tests uh -huh. Uh -huh. my personality type is INFJT which is known as the advocate and one of the things that is always described in the descriptions of this personality type are that they can imagine endless possibilities oh. in their futures and what to pursue and I definitely experienced oh. that but I think to your original question, you know, my upbringing really did influence um, my choice to pursue environmental studies. It just made sense based mm -hmm. on my connection that I felt to nature. Mm -hmm. um, and that's why I made that decision. And to this day, you know, I'm happiest when I'm out in nature. It feels so natural to me. But um you know, as years have gone by, I've really grown to understand the added layers and complexities mm -hmm. that link our environment to mm -hmm. our human health and right. yeah. um, also the injustices that exist in all of this. Yep. And the fact that yeah. those who are most impacted by climate change are the least responsible, just mm -hmm. being one prime example that has really stuck with me ever since I came to understand that. Mm -hmm. um, so really what started as one young person's love for, mm. for nature and growing up in nature became so much bigger than that for mm. me. And it's really, you know, a matter of weaving in this commitment to justice and, mm. you know, using the gifts that I have been given and the privilege I have to do my small part. Um, mm. Specifically, you know, focusing on the climate crisis is really the direction that I've taken. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. But yeah. that's, that's how I really came to that point. Okay. So, yeah, so going back, you were the first student mm -hmm. to be accepted in a three plus one master's program with Vermont Law School. Uh, what, yes. is, what does that mean? And did you at some point wanted to have a career in law? Yeah. So um, when I was in undergrad, this opportunity came to me in my first year, and it just was it felt too good to be true. Mm -hmm. And it was an opportunity to take this um, fast track to get both my bachelor's and my master's in the course of four years. And then, oh. you know, I was really excited about just getting to work. That <laughs> always felt really important to me. So being able to not only save money, but get sort of that fast track education and then get out and work on the ground was really important. But to just unpack what that program was, uh, basically, my undergraduate was in environmental science, mm -hmm. and then the graduate degree was in environmental law mm -hmm. and policy. Okay. So between those two degrees, each right. school had courses that sort of cross-counted between them. So okay. I did some online courses in mm -hmm. just some of the basic law classes while I was in undergrad, and then some of the classes I did in undergrad mm -hmm. then counted 
back to the the graduate degree okay. as well. And it was a really amazing um, program. It was it came at just the right moment for me to be able to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and to answer your question about whether I considered law, yes, mm-hmm. I definitely did. Mm-hmm. Um, what I'll say is when I was in the master's program, I was taking courses right alongside the law students, but they were the courses focused on, you know, environmental law. So I took some climate change in the law courses. Mm-hmm. I took some um, courses around um, like the Endangered Species Act and mm-hmm. how that impacts wildlife in the United States and abroad. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think what I came to feel is that I was more oriented to work in the nonprofit space in an advocacy oriented direction. Mm-hmm. Um, I still am interested by the law, but um, it just didn't seem like the right fit at that moment. And I told myself, you know what, if I decide that that is the direction I want to take, mm-hmm. there's always the ability to go back and get my JD. Right. But ultimately, that's, that's not the path that I took. And I will also just say, you know, it was really fascinating learning about the laws and learning about the law as a tool that we can use to fight climate change and Mm. to really make an impact on the environment. But it's also limiting, you know, it's built in sort of archaic systems Mm. to an extent. So sometimes I felt, you know, just limited by that when I was sort of working my way through the courses. So mm, that's, okay. that's why I decided not to jump in feet first right. okay. um, and pursue law. Yeah. Okay. So then while you were in school, you did a work study at the campus's organic fa- vegetable farm, as well as interned at Volvo Group ma- Manufacturing Site on their environmental team. Why did you want to do both? And what did you accomplish working on both? Yeah, yeah. So this was another example where, you know, the opportunity came at the right moment. And I said, yes. Mm -hmm. Um, So I had been doing work study at the campus's vegetable farm Mm -hmm. from my freshman year. Okay. Um, And I really loved that. It was great to get outside and to work with my hands and to learn more about working with the land and being able to like see the vegetables grow on that part. It was very rewarding. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, you know, after about a year of that, um, my advisor at the time let me know that there was this opportunity to do an internship, a long-term paid internship while I was in school at Volvo on their environmental team. And at the time I was a little bit skeptical, to be honest. I thought, do I really wanna be working in a like corporate setting? Mm. It didn't feel like um, the right fit, but as I explored the opportunity more and found out about this program that they were hoping to launch, which was Mm -hmm. a partnership Mm -hmm. between the college and this local company Mm -hmm. to combat food waste, I thought, okay, I want to be part of that. Hmm. And what it ended up meaning is that I was both um, the boots on the ground at the campus farm, like literally picking up the food scraps from Volvo, taking them to the campus farm and composting them and doing all the record keeping. Uh But I also got to play a role in coordinating the partnership itself behind the scenes. And that was really interesting, you know, and what a great opportunity for someone you know, going through schooling to get that practical experience mm-hmm. um, and working with multiple people. And right. it was 
such a fascinating process. And, you know, to see both sides of it was really amazing for me. Mm, Um, And I still like I reflect back on that and seeing how it's grown since that point. Mm -hmm. What was really rewarding is I went back to the, um, the campus to do, you know, a guest lecture um and i was able to go back to the farm and they had expanded the program and had gotten funding to get um a new composter on site um that took some of the manual work out of it so it was Uh just it was really amazing to see how that grew over time and to know that that still existing today that's just it's one of my like proud moments that I reflect back on having just a small part in it, part of it I can't mm-hmm. take credit for the idea but having been part of it is like no that's amazing exciting. yeah that that really is to know that you know from what you had initially been as an intern or, or like working on that farm and now it's grown to be this um like to grow into something that is sustainable right and, right. and it's really yeah that's really cool Okay, so you also had an opportunity to travel to Belize. So what was the purpose of that trip, and how was that experience for you? Yeah, uh, so this is one of my favorite memories um, from school, and I feel just so grateful to have had this opportunity. So one of the courses that was offered at this school was over the J-term, which is basically the month of January. They're very... Um, short-term courses and Mm -hmm. one of them was to travel abroad to Belize and do a tropical ecology course Mm -hmm. and wow this was just life-changing for me it was the first time I really had a chance to travel any farther from home than Canada Uh Um, and while I was there you know we spent we spent time in a couple different ecosystems and got to witness lot of different biodiversity which was truly amazing Mm. and so different from what I had ever experienced here Um, and also just getting to learn from some of the local folks there and how they grew up living with the land and in the rainforest Mm. it was really amazing and Mm. it was one of those moments where I thought this is exactly what I need to be working to protect Like Mm. it really has stuck with me and I haven't been back to Belize since I took that trip, but every year those memories come Uh, up on, on my social media. And I think I, you need to go back back and visit. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You need to go back and see what else you can learn from them. Wow. Yes. That's amazing. Okay. So, so post-graduation, you moved to the DC metro area and took on an internship with Chesapeake Climate Action Network and also worked at a farm stand during that time. What is Chesapeake Climate Action Network about, and what was your role there, and how long were you with them? Yeah, sure. So um, Chesapeake Climate Action Network, or CCAN for short, is a smaller climate nonprofit, and they focus on climate on a regional level. So they Mm. were looking at um, D.C., Virginia, and Maryland um, mm-hmm. specifically, and focusing both on activism and, um, you know, working on protests like against new fossil fuel infrastructure, but also on the other side, really working on legislation Mm. um, for renewable energy and good climate 
policies. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I started there as an intern, mm-hmm. I was working on the DC campaign, which was all around um, carbon pricing at the time. Mm-hmm. And then after that, after that summer was over, I was still working at the farm stand on, on the side. And mm. um, the opportunity came up that there was a role that they were hiring full time for, for an oh. executive assistant and special projects coordinator, uh-huh. one of those Jane of all trades types of roles. Uh-huh. Um, so I applied and interviewed and was accepted. And oh, at wow. that point, um, you know, I did a little bit of everything. I was supporting the executive director and the development director, uh, but also doing, you know, research on policy mm. um, and planning events and mm. fundraising and, you know, a little bit of everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and then from there, uh, I ended up taking on more of a fundraising role and was overseeing our work with our supporters across the region, getting to meet with a lot of our supporters face to face, which was really amazing to to learn from them and, and hear their stories. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was there for about, geez, I want to say three years. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was just such a wonderful entree to my career because I was able to learn a lot and fast and I was surrounded by the most passionate people Mm. you know we only had we had a very small team I think it was about 15 people give or take Uh during my time there Uh but really some of the most uh passionate and um really dedicated folks Mm. um working on climate at that uh more regional like localized level it was it was a great way to mm. get my start. That's awesome. Okay, so mm-hmm. cur- so currently you are the program manager for Daughters for Earth. What is Daughters yeah. for Earth about and what does your role entail there? Yes, I am so excited to talk about this. Awesome. Um, so Daughters for Earth is an ambitious fund and a movement of women and girls rising up to raise and mobilize $100 million in support of women's efforts to protect and restore Earth and address the climate crisis. So wow. just to take that yeah. a step back, uh-huh. we know a few things. We know that women are working on climate environment and the environment, but they get less than 2% of philanthropic resources. Hmm. And we know they're doing this amazing work on the ground. Mm -hmm. um, And they have this huge opportunity to drive change. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's important to get the resources to them. Um, We also know that, you know, everyday women are saying that they want to do something, they want to be part of the solution to climate, but they don't know where to start. And we also know that women just aren't adequately being recognized for the work that they're doing already. And I think this tends to be the same theme across a lot of different sectors. But to that end, Mm -hmm. you know, Daughters really has three core goals. Mm -hmm. First, putting more money in the hands of women who are protecting and restoring Earth. You know, we know that they need money and what an honor to be able to raise those resources Mm -hmm. and get them the money that they need. Mm -hmm. Uh, Goal number two is mobilizing all daughters at the local and community level to take action and Mm -hmm. really providing them 
the tools to do so. Okay. I'm making the science easy to understand mm-hmm. um, in a way that's digestible. Okay. So the third goal then is raising public awareness of mm. the critical role that women and girls are already playing in addressing climate change and telling those stories that just don't often get told. Right. Um, yeah. So, you know, those are the three core goals that Daughters has. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the work that we do is also very grounded in science mm-hmm. um, and specifically science funded by our core partner, One Earth, that mm-hmm. shows us it is possible to solve the climate crisis. And yeah. I think this is so important because sometimes it feels discouraging, but actually we have the solutions right. that we need to solve the climate crisis. And those are um, protecting and restoring 50% of nature, both mm-hmm. lands and waters, mm-hmm. um, shifting to regenerative agriculture and shifting to renewable energy. Wow. So, you know, those are, those are three things rooted in science. They are tangible and women are working at the intersection of all of these already. Mm -hmm. And um, one last thing I'll say is, you know, in the first year since Daughters for Earth launched Mm -hmm. um, back in March, 2022, Mm -hmm. uh, we've already in partnership with One Earth funded 50 women powered projects across over 20 countries and the Arctic and, you know, have plans to fund many more. But I mean, it's just a testament to the fact that these projects are out there. Women are doing the work Mm -hmm. and it's rooted in science and we need to support them. And the way that we can do that is by putting money in their hands, Mm -hmm. but also by uplifting their stories. Mm -hmm. And um, that's really, that's the gist of, of Daughters for Earth. And it's such an exciting time um, we have a lot in store for the upcoming year and are really aiming to bring everyone to the table to be part of the solution and to be part of Daughters First. I love that. That's really amazing. Yeah, when you were talking about the 50 women-led or operated projects across over 20 countries in the Arctic just in your first year, I mean, why, why do you think women have become more visible in the climate crisis, or at least just now more people are aware that women are are really the ones who are affected? Yeah, so I think one one reason is that, you know, as more research comes out, and as we're taking more of an intersectional lens at how we look at climate change, it's telling us, you know, women and girls are very highly impacted Mm -hmm. by climate, but also, you know, that presents an opportunity and a positioning Mm. that women and girls can be a core part of the solution because they're closest to what's happening and the impacts on the ground and they understand it. And it's part of, you know, how they're surviving in their life. Mm -hmm. Um, it's, it's, and I think it's definitely becoming, something that people are opening their eyes to. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, at, at Daughters for Earth, we are doing everything that we can to make sure we continue to uplift those those stories that mm-hmm. haven't been told. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, with a lot of excitement, you mm. know, it's been, I think that folks are very excited to hear 
about the amazing work that that women are doing on the ground yeah. and wanting to to support it and mm-hmm. and learn more and and be part of it too right, right. Do, so do you think there are still some misconceptions about climate change and you know how it's affecting the planet and us yeah you know something i think about a lot um is that I think sometimes it's still framed as something in the future. Mm. And I think this is changing. You know, there are a lot of events unfolding around us all over the world. And, you know, it's making it clear that the climate crisis is here and now. It is not just something in the future. Mm -hmm. It is here. We are experiencing it. And more and more places around the world are starting to, to, see those impacts Mm -hmm. um but you know also it's it's not just here now it has been happening you know these climate impacts and sea level rise like there are communities around the world that have been impacted by this for a long time already and you know for decades we have known Mm -hmm. but just now we're starting to um really see that unfolding and i just think that it's important when we're talking about climate to talk about it in the present sense Mm -hmm. and and make sure that um you know we're not getting we're not getting to a place where we're just kicking the pebble down the lane as Mm. it's something to um address in in the future because it's not a future problem it's a it's a problem right now yeah so um what prompted you to work for daughters for earth and did you have an aha moment when you thought this was the right place for you? Yeah, so I I think there's a theme here where in my life there have been these opportunities that come up and I, I tend to say yes and be really excited. Mm-hmm. In this case, mm-hmm. um, a former colleague of mine had reached out to me and it felt so serendipitous um, because I had this sort of feeling inside that I wanted to be doing more Mm -hmm. and um, she reached out to me she said hey this is a really cool new initiative I think that you should check it out it seems like the perfect place for you Mm -hmm. and as I sort of read the description wow this sounds this sounds like exactly where Mm -hmm. I need to be, Mm -hmm. you know, putting together the passion that I had for the environment and nature that was just part of who I was, but also, you know, uplifting women's work, Mm -hmm. um, bringing those things together really resonated with me. Uh, I always like to say that every step of my journey, there has been a woman who's standing alongside me Mm -hmm. and to then marry these passions of mine and give back and do my small part um, wow, what what an honor to have that opportunity. So I was really, really deeply grateful that this former colleague had just thought to reach out to me. And, you know, mm-hmm. I think we all like really need to surround ourselves with those people that are always looking out for us and always are going to think of us and, yeah. um, you know, share those opportunities freely. That's, that's priceless. And I was grateful for, for that. And that mm-hmm. was sort of, the aha moment for me and you know linked to that yeah you know opportunity to bring my passions together yeah yeah so has daughters for earth encountered any resistance to getting these projects implemented or has fundraising been difficult to get them going 
Yeah. So, you know, when you set a goal to raise a hundred million dollars, that's never going to be easy and it's not going to happen overnight. I think what is absolutely incredible and, you know, coming from a background of fundraising is seeing the support that came for Mm. daughters in the first year and the willingness to make big audacious investments mm-hmm. um, in these women-led projects and the goals of Daughters for Earth to mobilize women um, all over the world. So wow. I, it's been so incredible to watch. And of course, we still have a lot of fundraising to do, mm-hmm. but we've mm-hmm. been we've been so excited to um, raise 25 million in long-term wow. commitments toward That's, our goal, and uh-huh. we are continuing to fundraise. And it's it's you know a beautiful opportunity to really grow this community and to be audacious mm. and to ask for the resources that we need right now this Mm -hmm. is not like i I mean like we already talked about the climate crisis is not a future problem so the way we approach funding the climate crisis and supporting the people and the women specifically on the ground that are doing this work it has to happen now and Mm -hmm. it needs to happen with with some urgency yeah no i i so get it yeah and you know you really i mean what you're doing and Daughters for Earth is doing is really amazing. And I so applaud all the work that you've already done and getting all of these initiatives out there, ongoing initiatives is really amazing. Um, So was there a time when you thought you needed to do something that would affect your life and others? Yeah, so I think in my lifetime, I've had several of these moments come up um and i'll just reflect on one that really comes to mind Mm -hmm. um so when i was still in grad school in vermont it was was in 2017 uh the people's climate march was organized in dc and um you know working with the other students at the school and a local nonprofit, 350 vermont we organized a bus Mm -hmm. to go overnight Uh from Vermont to DC so that Uh we could participate Uh in the People's Climate March. And at that point, climate had become really front of mind for me. Um, But just being on the ground that day, surrounded by so many people from all backgrounds coming together on climate, Mm -hmm. really stands out as one of those moments that reinvigorated in me that I need to do something about climate Mm. in whatever way that I can Mm. um yeah just being surrounded and and knowing that this is something that impacts everyone Mm -hmm. it impacts everything right and it just felt so clear um in that moment and being surrounded by all these people coming together on this shared issue yep this is where I need to be and I need to do something about this that's really cool yeah considering you know going back from how you grew up anyway, you know, this is like almost like a, um, I guess, would you consider it like basically the turning point for you or the, basically the, not the last straw, but this was like, well, okay, this is why I'm here and this is why I need to be where I am, right? Yeah, definitely. I mean, to your point, 
growing up, I always felt so connected um, to nature and the environment. But this really just, Mm. (laughs) it was one of those moments where I was like, okay, this is, this is it. I know that I need to do this. Wow. I love that. Okay. So who would you credit for where you are now? Yes. Oh, so like I mentioned, really at every part of my life, there's been a woman who is standing alongside of me through the highs, the lows, everything in between. So mm-hmm. I'm going to gonna call out a couple people here. So I, I think about my mother and my mm-hmm. grandmother, mm-hmm. both of whom really have inspired me so much and really supported me to be the best version of myself. I really have learned so much from them. Um, and I also think about my very best friend, um, who I've known since kindergarten. And I have to tell you, you don't make it that long in friendship (laughs) without seeing sort of the good, bad and everything in between together. Um, you know, having her alongside me as we've gone through all these phases of life Mm -hmm. has been pretty beautiful and just constantly grateful, Mm -hmm. um, to her and you know aside from that I I have so many past colleagues mm. bosses and of course the the current team at Daughters Worth that I'm working with and you know there are so many inspiring and influential people mm-hmm. around the world and history and it's been amazing to learn from all of them but for me I would say in my life the women who have been just around me and supporting me at every step of the way have have really um, inspired me most and helped me to get where I am mm-hmm. today. Wow. Um, I love that. Yeah, and I, I think one last thing I will say on this, I've talked about all the wonderful women in my life. I also would be remiss not to mention uh, my husband as mm. someone who has both kept me grounded mm-hmm. um, and also allowed me and challenged me to to really pursue my ambitions. Mm. So a oh. lot of gratitude there, too. That's awesome. Okay, yeah. so moving forward, um, do you have any personal goals or is there something you haven't yet done that you would like to do? Yeah, my goodness, so much. Um, <laughs> but... <laughs> You know, it's funny, at the beginning of every year, my husband and I sit down and we set a handful of goals, both individually and and together. And my colleagues will laugh when they hear this, but I actually, I've got a spreadsheet where I sort of track the goals that I set at the beginning of each year. And you know, it feels good to be able to like check things off and and see progress over time. Um, You know, some of those things are really simple, you know, a reading goal around, you know, the books that I want to read and making sure I'm reading a diversity of types of books. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I've got an ongoing goal to learn Spanish. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I've got goals around like how many miles I want to hike and, Mm -hmm. you know, things like that, that are sort of like the everyday um, (laughs) types of goals that... Mm -hmm are sort of baked in. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think on a deeper level, something that I am really committed to is living a life in relationship with the world around me and finding that deeper connection to nature and making sure I like 
hold on to that connection that I felt mm-hmm. as a young girl. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's obvious. That's like a very big and kind of squishy goal, but mm-hmm. um, that's definitely something that I want to stay true to. And, you know, as, as someone who's been so deeply driven by the cause, um, also have a goal to find balance and make sure I'm using my talents and my work to enact great change, but mm-hmm. also living a life that's fulfilling and kind both to myself mm-hmm. and and others. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, for me, that's meant that while I've been pretty career driven, um, sort of taking a step back from that, becoming less interested in, in climbing the ladder of like what traditional success might look like mm-hmm. and thinking about what does it actually mean to live life and do work that feels authentic and is kind to myself and and the world around me. So that's one of those like big lofty goals that I think will sit with me uh, Mm. for the rest of time. Mm. And it's the sort of thing that you sort of chip away at. Um, And that's my, that's my main big goal. Um, I love it. Yeah. Yeah. So what are your goals for the community you're involved in Daughters for Earth? Yeah, of course. So we talked a little bit about the three core goals that Daughters has at a high level. Mm -hmm. You know, we're trying to raise $100 million. We're Mm -hmm. trying to fund hundreds of women-powered efforts. And we're trying to mobilize 100,000 women around the world on climate. Um, So those are, you know, the the stats at a glance. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think as we do that, you know, sort of taking a page out of what I've the book I just spoke to is that, um, you know, we have to do it in partnership and collaboration and with the guidance of the many women leaders that we're lucky to have on our networks Mm -hmm. and the partners and the organizations doing great work in this space. And there's actually a quote that always comes back to me um, from Braiding Sweetgrass, the book by Robin Wall Kimmerer. And the quote goes, the trees act not as individuals, but somehow as a collective. What happens to one happens to us all. We can mm. starve together or feast together. And the reason I bring that up is because I think it really sums up my feelings about what my goals and hopes for this community are. It's to work collaboratively and bring women globally together in this shared cause of protecting and restoring the earth and the climate Mm -hmm. because we have to Mm. you know we have to move together and we you know it's not enough to just move on our own Mm -hmm. and in fact it's more joyful and beautiful when we do things in community so i think uh as i think about the the three core goals of Daughters for Earth, it comes rooted back to that. Mm, I love that. And it's true. You know, community, you can do so much more when you're surrounded by people who have the shared voices or shared goals and and intentions, right? As opposed to doing it on your own. And you're like, well, okay, I don't know how long this will work, but, you know, hopefully it does. But it's, it's definitely much more fulfilling and, you know, like you said, rewarding, but also you get to share in the joy after that, you know, of right. accomplishing something so so big. So that's really awesome. So if anyone wanted to get 
um, involved or find out more about um, you and Daughters for Earth? How would they go about it? Sure. So for Daughters for Earth, you know, an easy way to stay up to date with what we're up to is signing up for our newsletter. Um, where you'll get news and ways to engage with our work. And we have some really exciting things on the horizon for 2023. And, you know, I'll be so excited to share that with everyone. And I think the best way, you know, sign up for our newsletter on our website, which is daughtersforearth.org. Also follow us on social media. We are on all of the social media platforms and put out good content every week uh, for folks to engage with. Um, And, you know, I'd be remiss not to say, you know, we are still working toward that goal of raising $100 million and every dollar counts. So Mm -hmm. for anyone with the means to do so, making a gift is a great way to support this work and then engage with us further and get updates about uh, what we're up to at Daughters for Earth. Right. Um, Is there anything you would like to say to my listeners, especially young people who might want to get involved? Yeah, of course. So for young people, um, you know, as someone who is on the younger side myself, I know that as a whole, there are a lot of shared anxieties um, about what the future looks like. Mm -hmm. Can we save the planet? And just questioning, questioning that and also feeling the pressure of being expected to be the generation's to save us all, Mm. but not always being given the tool space or platform to do so. And, you know, knowing that we're supposed to fix it, but if we, (laughs) you know, stand up and try to sometimes are written off as, as naive. So I think just calling that out that I know that is very present. Mm -hmm. Um, I will say something that's really important, you know, both to me and for daughters for earth is, Mm -hmm. um, engaging people across all generations. We Mm -hmm. can't do this Mm -hmm. without engaging everyone from Mm -hmm. young people up to our grandmothers and grandparents. You know, it's really got to be across generations. Mm -hmm. Um, But I would also encourage young people to um, follow us and, you know, take a look at some of the projects that we have supported and are collaborating with that actually are youth led Mm. or focused Mm -hmm. um, and to find some inspiration and and hope through that. And, you know, just to take it a step further for the the general audience, I really, really would encourage the listeners to seek out those stories that don't often get told, Mm -hmm. you know, the stories of these brave women doing Mm -hmm. inspiring and critical work um, on climate and you know whether that's women in the Amazon or women in the Arctic using science and indigenous wisdom Mm -hmm. to fight climate you know it's really it can be so inspiring and uplifting but it's also an important call to action for all of us right yeah to put the resources behind that work that's being done and to continue telling these stories and spreading the message of the work that they're doing. Uh, So I think that's what I would leave with the audience is, you know, keep seeking out those stories um, and keep putting more support behind them. 
Thank you for that. I love that because I went on your site and there's like so many incredible stories of women who are doing such amazing work, yes. you know, locally and, and just making sure that what they're doing is really, um, you know, it's really um, reinforcing, you know, the fact that this is, this, that the planet that we have right now has to be, um, uh, it has to be saved and, and has to, um, you have to keep working to preserve it and not to right. waste it. So I, I love that. So thank you for that. Um, so if you had one thing to change that you wish had done years ago, what would it be? Yeah. Oh, this is a good one. So I think one thing that I've started to become more mindful of is this idea of perfectionism and actually, you know, in adulthood have come to understand perfectionism is actually linked to white supremacy culture. So mm. I have in a lot of my life felt bound to this idea of perfectionism. So lately I've started to try to really be intentional about interrupting that, giving mm. myself the permission to not reach perfection because truly it does not that doesn't exist. Um, but mm -hmm. it's been an ongoing effort. And I just wish, you know, I actually wish I would have, you know, started this journey sooner. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we all need to give ourselves grace. Um, and I think it's just really important um, to interrupt mm -hmm. feeling like we need to be perfect. Um, yeah. And it's more about, um, not being perfect, but about the quality of how we're living our lives and how it feels and how we're interacting with other people. Does it feel, does it feel good? Does it feel authentic? Am I being kind both to myself mm -hmm. and to everyone around me and to the earth, to all beings on this earth? Mm -hmm. That's at the end of the day, way more important than this idea of, you know, trying to get everything right all the time. Yeah. yeah. Thank you for that. And so my last question is, if you could go back in time, what advice would you give your younger self? Yeah. So on a similar thread, I think I would tell myself, slow down. Hmm. Um, and this might have come through in our conversation, but, you know, ever since, I was growing up and then going to college, it was constantly moving at warp speed and doing mm -hmm. the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. Right. And I would tell myself, slow down, not to impede my ambitions because mm -hmm. that was a huge part of who I was and am today, mm -hmm. but rather to recognize that taking care of ourselves is actually a critical part of being able to make a difference mm. and to have an impact. We yeah. cannot do good work unless we take care of ourselves personally. Um, and as a young person, I wish that I would have um, taken more moments to mm. take a pause, take care of myself, let myself relax. Um, and I, it's also sort of advice that I'm giving to myself right now as an <laughs> adult as well. You uh, know, it's, yeah. it's an ongoing process, but, right. um, you know, it's, it's something that I think is important to recognize and to always 
give ourselves the moments to regenerate. You know, just like we're talking about regenerating the earth, we need to regenerate ourselves and give ourselves um, that space to yeah. heal. I love that. Well, Danielle, thank you so much for coming on the show and for sharing your stories and your work with Daughters for Earth. And I am so amazed with what you, what Daughters for Earth is doing globally. And I just wish you continued success with that and a lot of luck in raising, you know, the, the goal of $100 million. And, and I do hope it, it, I hope you get it, you know, because it's so worth it. It's, it's for, it's not just for one, it's not just for one um, initiative. It's, it's a, it's the, it's for everyone, right? And it's for the planet and it's for, it's making sure that we have a future. <laughs> so thank you for that. And um, I, you know, please keep me posted with new things that you're doing with Daughters for Earth. And I really, you know, love that um, you were able to come on and, and share this with us because I didn't even know anything about Daughters for Earth until, you know, until we connected. So thank you. Thank you, Tess, for inviting me to join. This has been such a pleasure. I've loved our conversation and I just look forward to staying in touch. Yeah, great. Well, me as well. Uh, so I will talk with you soon. Have a good day. Thanks. Thanks, Tess. You yep. as well. Okay. Bye. Bye. That's our show for today. I've posted more information about Danielle Miller on RevWoman.com. Thank you for listening, and I hope you'll tune in every Thursday for another episode of Revolutionary Woman. You can listen to Revolutionary Woman on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcast. Just a little note. I've launched a Patreon account to support the show. All proceeds will go to producing and editing the episodes to give my poor husband a break for being my personal IT and production department. He wrote this. The address is patreon.com slash revwoman. <laughs>